Greetings and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Again, good morning to those who are watching online. Thankful that you guys can participate in that way. And those who are listening at some other time, again, grateful for you spending time with us. As we get started today, I'm going to be talking about hell part two. Um, You'd think one hell is enough, but no. But before we get started, you know, this is a time where we have taken out of our daily schedules to lean into a conversation maybe that we don't usually lean into. And so we're going to pause, we're going to pray, and, and our prayer is a desire for us to be receptive to things that are outside of us. That's the whole idea of you know, encountering God. It's encountering that which is beyond us, that which is outside of us that's transcendent. And so uh, to do that, sometimes we have to be aware of where our focus is. And so let's pause and prayer helps us to realign some of our focus sometimes. So let's do that now. Lord God, it is good to be able to gather together and we pray that our time here together would be meaningful to us, that it would inspire us, it would breathe life into us, that it would provoke our thinking beyond the norm of what we usually do. And I pray that as we converse with one another and have interaction, that it would be seasoned with grace as we talk about things that maybe have diverse ideas or beliefs, that we would be generous in how we hear other people's views and that we would show love, compassion, patience, and understanding as much as we can. We are grateful for our time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Again, I want to say thank you for everyone who's here. I want to say thank you for those who support Genesis and give, whether it's online or in the various ways. We appreciate it. We are here because of you and are thankful for your participation. Even those who aren't coming here, there's many people who still listen and donate. I just want to acknowledge how grateful we are to you. Last week, as I started talking about hell, we had an amazing discussion afterwards. We were here longer afterwards than when I spoke, which is always a good thing, right? (laughs) You're saying, yes, that's a real good thing. Remember that. It, It was such a great conversation as everyone was able to bring in ideas and to see the variety of thoughts that people have carried with them just regarding this subject. And one of the things as looking back and reflecting on What I really was talking about is how the languages develop and use words and develop words, sometimes just based on their interpretation of the word. We we saw that the word hell in itself actually 
isn't in the original text, but it's a translation from either Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament, or Gehenna, or Tartaru that happens one time in 2 Peter. And so these other words are then translated into hell depending on what the translators thought that they should mean, and that varies. And the ideas that we've carried on to hell being a place of eternal torment that happens forever and ever weren't a part of many original schools of thought. And that word having a variety of meanings could mean other things. And for some of us, that is off-putting because this is like one of the foundations of Christianity, which is kind of a crazy thing, right? I started with the story of a woman who just could not imagine being a follower of Jesus if she had to believe that her husband who died and was an atheist was forever in hell. I, she couldn't hold on to that and this faith at the same time, which makes perfect sense. And why would we be putting these things in the way if they aren't actually in the way? I never did say, however, that the idea of hell or judgment or punishment isn't of value. Because I know jokingly, Rick left last time saying, I'm going to get a brick and break into a store since there's no hell, right? He was just joking. I'm assuming he was joking. Um, Yeah, he's not here today. Anyone seen Rick? (laughs) Uh, But the idea wasn't that there isn't the need for judgment or even a sense punishment for wrongs that are done. The whole idea was just to see that the language is room for various you know, ideas in regards to this. And, and language is such a, a strange thing. Can you imagine like 200 years ago, if someone were to listen in on a conversation today and someone said something like, do me a solid, what would that mean? Do me a solid. They'd have their dictionaries out, do me a solid. Uh, let your mind go where that would, right? I mean, what does that mean? It, it just has to have context. It has to be in some form of understanding that's already there for it to have depth of conversation. Now we're looking at a language that's 2,000 years old and we are separated so much from a lot of that context. And so what did the writers mean when they talked about hell? or what is being translated as hell, or what did they mean when we're reading the word eternal, or what words were used to be interpreted as eternal. And so I'm not here to say that there is no use for this idea of judgment or punishment. I love this Rob Bell quote in his book, Love Wins, that nobody really read, at least who critiqued it. It's the number one slide, Gil, in it. Number one slide. And you guys... Gil has done an amazing job. That's not it, but (laughs) I said that. (laughs) He's done an amazing job, just not right then. Uh, He's juggling all the plates back there, so have, have mercy on him. 
It says, to summarize then, we need a loaded, volatile, adequately violent, dramatic, serious word to describe the very real consequences we experience when we reject the good, true, and beautiful life that God has for us. We need a word that refers to the big, wide, terrible evil that comes from the secrets hidden deep within our hearts, all the way to the massive society-wide collapse and chaos that comes when we fail to live in God's world, God's way. And for that, the word hell works quite well. Let's keep it. Little balance there, right? It's not just, hey, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing, but we have to see things maybe in a wider perspective. Um, we, we tend to go to the big things, right? We even talked about that last week. We talked about, yeah, what about the Hitlers? What about the Stalins? But when we were having lunch afterwards, talking with Brian and Alex and Karina and myself, we were talking about all the little things, right, that bring the cracks into society. It's all those small things that matter. And so sometimes using, you know, the Hitlers helps get us out of the sense of I'm my responsibility, right? But the truth is I have caused more hurt to my wife than Hitler ever has, Right? Now, there's a big difference with insensitivity and genocide, right? So I'm not <laughs> comparing myself to Hitler in, in any way. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> but the whole idea is we don't want to lose our responsibility to one another and to the work that God has. In scripture, there's a passage, I want to start off with this, and it's the second slide, Gil, in Exodus 21, where you're familiar with it, where the law is being given, and it's written down that if there is an injury, then you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. The whole idea of this law was not to bring about retribution. It was to limit vengeance. If someone takes your eye, you don't take their head, right? And I guess burns were big back then because burn for burn, bruise for bruise. It's like, man, what's going on there, right? The whole idea was to limit the retribution so that it wouldn't be unjust. When I grew up, in my understanding of church, my understanding was that even the littlest sin, like lying about stealing cookies from the cookie jar, was enough to land you in hell. That's not eye for eye, right? That's eternity for cookie, right? And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but there's the point that's trying to be made, because we're talking about the idea of torment for all eternity to whatever the things are, the crimes are, right? The injustice, even murder, those things that are horrific. Is it an eye for an eye or is it a tooth for a tooth or is this outside of that scope? Is God asking us to kind of calm how we interact, but then at the end of our life just unleashes hell, right? And so... I think it's important that we understand that all those verses about God being merciful, God showing mercy, this eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth, and then this idea that when you die, 
you're tormented for all eternity, they, they don't really line up. A few of the verses that we see God's compassion in the slide three, in Psalm 103, verse eight, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. The next slide in Isaiah says, for I will not accuse you forever and I will not always be angry. Again, these seem in conflict with the idea of hell that we've grown up listening to or hearing to. And it's easy to just throw out Bible verses, right? We'll start playing cards with our Bible verses. I'll, you know, I'll see your psalm and I'll raise you a revelation. You know, here's my Bible verses. I've got a lot of my Bible verses too. And we just start throwing Bible verses at one another. But let's start with a little humility and understanding we are talking about things that are outside of our experience and scope. We're talking about interpreting letters and writings that are thousands of years old in different languages, and we are removed from the commonality of the conversation. So before I'm going to be so dogmatic and hold my feet to this fire, I want to have a little humility that there's a lot we don't know. And it's important to kind of lean in with that. And so I'm going to start with the verse that's probably one of the more, I don't know, condemning, damning verses in Revelation. It's the next slide, Gil. Revelation 20.10, it says, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they were, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, I wanna talk about fire. I wanna talk about torment. I wanna talk about eternity and some of the possibilities. I also want to remind us that we are to read the Bible literarily before we just take it literally. And Revelation is an apocryphal book where it's talking about lavish things, trying to bring about pictures. It's so interesting. People have no problems talking about, you know, the harlot on the beast and seeing it as figurative, but when it comes to lake of fire, now it's literal, right? How are you choosing which is which? And so we want to kind of, again, talk about this, but remembering that uh, an apocalyptic book has a certain theme and bent to it before we just take it literally. Fire is almost always figurative or symbolic in Scripture, with the purpose being of purifying, refining, and accomplishing something good. So that's a common theme in scripture. And before we dive headlong into the lake of fire, let's look at how the word fire is used. Put up the next slide, Gil. God is a consuming fire. That's really small, sorry about that. Um, Believers are baptized and anointed with fire. Jesus and his messengers appear in and descended as fire. And I've got the scripture references there if you want to snapshot that. 
God will judge all flesh with fire and sword. Jesus' eyes are described as fire. Fire acts as a testing, refining, and purifying agent for the chaff. Remember, the chaff is not the wheat itself. The Israelites were refined in a fiery furnace. Fire destroys enemies, lawbreakers, hypocrites, those who ignore the needs of the poor. Everyone who separates from Jesus is thrown into fire. Fire is used to reveal the quality of our works. Everyone will be salted with fire. So it's used throughout scripture in a lot of ways, and a lot of it has to do with this idea of refining. And back into that passage in Revelation, the Greek word for fire is the word pur, P-U-R. And it's where we get our English word pure or purify. The Greek word for brimstone that's used there is the word theon, and it is defined as divine incense because burning brimstone was regarded as having the power to purify and to ward off disease. So now fire and brimstone take on a whole new meaning. Just with that understanding of the language, just like give me a solid, do me a solid, takes on a whole different meaning in our time. Understanding how it is used at that time also gives us a little bit depth into maybe what is being communicated in that passage. And then also that word brimstone, it's the word theon, and it shares the same root word as the word God, theos does, which is interesting. Next in the Greek word for torment in the verse is a word basanazio, I think. It sounds Italian to me, so I don't think it's right. But anyway, and it comes from the root or the noun basanos, which is defined as a touchstone, and a touchstone is used for testing metals. It's the word that was used when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and they thought they were sinking and they were tormented by the waves. It's the same word. And their faith was being tested. And so it has this variety of meaning that includes the idea of testing. But testing and the disciples being tormented in the boat is a lot different than torture. Just some things to think about in the language in and of itself. And then there's some various ways that we see, you know, again, fire, In scripture, Gil, these are the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, where we see the idea of refining taking place. And it says, look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. In Psalm 66, for you, God, tested us. You refined us as silver is refined. You lured us into a trap. You placed burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and water, but you brought us out to abundance. Remember the literary idea in Psalms is, again, poetry, it's music. And Daniel chapter 11, some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Also Daniel 12. 
Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And in those last two passages in Daniel, the word that we use to translate it purified in the Septuagint is that word pur, which means fire. And so we start to see that in the language itself, there's a lot of room for this to be more than just you're going to be burned physically or tormented in actual flames. Could the idea of testing or purifying actually be part of God's process? As it says in Revelations, he's making all things new. If all things being made new has to go through some sort of refining. Maybe instead of it just being this place where those who are disobedient are condemned forever, it is a place where those who are wicked, disobedient, are refined. I want you to notice the difference in two passages, just in the translations and what they mean. It's from Zephaniah chapter 3. This is slide number 7, Gil. Okay. The Septuagint, which is a literal Greek translation, it says, wait for me, says the Lord, for the day of my resurrection, for a testimony, for my judgment shall be for gathering of nations to take kings to pour out upon them all my passion, the passion of my desire, for all the earth shall be consumed by the fire of my zeal. For then I will transfer upon the people one tongue for her generation, for all to call upon the name of the Lord to serve him under one yoke. The same scripture, a different translation, the New American Standard. The next slide, Gil. It says, Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. Those are two different verses, right? One, God's pissed. And one, God is desiring to do something. Same verse, two translations. One is more literal. One brings the color of the translators into it. When you grow up hearing something and thinking something, it starts to become the way you see things. It's the perspective from which you live, right? And those two verses hit different depending on the perspective that you're coming from. And the same thing is true with forever, the word forever. It's something that we see throughout Scripture. Even God's mercy will endure forever. There's this idea of forever and ever. It's just poetic. It's how we think. They lived happily ever after. We have this way of talking and communicating, and so it becomes part of our language. But forever and ever are the words, or forever, yeah, in the passage in Revelation, are the words ho. Ion, A-I-O-N, and it means the ages. And ages are defined as a period of time with a beginning and an end. It is decisively a noun, but has been frequently, and many scholars believe unjustly, 
replaced with adjectives or adverbs. And it is translated in so many ways. It's translated as ages, ancient times, beginning of time, world of worlds, world without end, course, eternal, eternity, ever, forever and ever, forevermore, long ago, never, old time, and even the King James as miscellaneous. And we see some pretty big contradictions in just the understanding and the definition of this word. The next slide, Gil, I believe it's nine. Yeah, there it is. There's the word. This is taken from the Strong's Concordance, and I've highlighted some contradictions in the definition, right? One definition is forever, an unbroken age, perpetual, perpetuity of time, eternity, period of time or age. But then you also see that it's ever, world, never, eternal, miscellaneous. So is it a period of time or is it perpetual time? Because one has a limit, the other doesn't. Go to the next slide, Gil. It's used in the verb form. Again, the definition, without beginning and end. And then without beginning, but then also when the world began, since the world began. So is it without beginning or is it when it began? Again, our idea of eternity starts to mean something different than age or age of ages. See, if you could say on to ages, it's still distinct measures of time. It's not just forever. It's like it might be going on a long time, ages and ages, like ages ago, but it's still a distinct point of time. Why is that important? Well, because the idea of eternity is important, right? If you're going to hell for all eternity, are you going to hell for determined ages? Even like we saw in some of the passage, they are going to be judgment for an age. It rings different. It has the possibility to show things different. And Strong's lists those definitions in various ways, and they're contradictory And we just kind of read over like, oh, well, but they can't both be true, but they can give us some understanding, maybe a deeper understanding of things that are trying to be communicated. And the thing is, some of these variation words already have their own Greek word, right? Like world has cosmos or chronos for chronology for a set time number of time, right? Or a beginning. There's a word that means beginning. And so these words are being used in spite of the other words that could be used, which help us to understand, right? That maybe something else is being communicated. Because the adjective form most literally means pertaining to an age, And I know it gets in the weeds going into some of these things. The whole point is to understand that there isn't this black and white understanding maybe that we've been presented. Here are three different translations of the word in use. This is the next slide, Gil. I think it's 11. In Ephesians 321, the Young's literal translation, to him is the glory in the assembly of Christ Jesus to all the generations of the age of the ages. 
and the King James, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And then the new King James, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Again, same words they're translating from in the Greek. The King James still uses ages, but then they bring the word world in, which isn't actually in the you know, scripture. And then New King James drops that out altogether and it's just forever and ever. Again, these all ring a little different just on that one word. And so when we read something like they are gonna be burned in the lake of fire with fire and brimstone, tormented forever and ever, just understanding some of those words, it could mean something totally different. But in our mind, the devil, the beast, false prophet, no, they, they got to burn, right? They just got to go away for a long, long time, forever and ever. That's what we want. But maybe that wasn't what's being communicated at all. Maybe there's something else that's being said. Here's another example of how different translations can mean very different things. The next slide, Gil. In Mark 3, 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty for an eternal sin. The literal translation, but whoever may speak evil in regard to the Holy Spirit hath not forgiveness to the age, but is in danger of age during judgment. Again, rings different, right? One is like, man, that's it, cuts off. The other one is like, well, it's not good, and it could be really bad, but it seems to have a different bent on it. The Young's is the more accurate, literal, right? And it does mean something different. And this is something that has been entertained in church history. I'm not bringing something new to you, right? I'm not like, this is some new progressive teaching here. This has been a part of the church conversation for decades just not in the evangelical circles, right? If you were in an Eastern Orthodox church, these would be, yeah, that's kind of what we believe. Like, oh, that's different than what we've believed. And so I don't want you to think I'm just pulling a rabbit out of my hat and here, this is what the Bible says. This is something that has been talked about, discussed, right? Entertained. That even after death, judgment does not mean condemnation for eternity from God, but there is, in some arenas, an opportunity to turn. I found this interesting. Even the reformer Martin Luther, in a letter he wrote to Hans von Rauschenberg in 1522 about the possibility that after people die, they could turn to God, he said, who would doubt God's ability to do that? Martin Luther says that, I think you got grounds to stand on. This is the reformer. And so again, these are voices that I think have been silenced because wanting to hold on to a certain view has become so prominent. And I think the reasons are interesting to explore. Maybe we can talk about that too. Because It's easier to get people to join your club if they're going to burn forever if they don't. (laughs) Right? Just saying. Who wants to join? I do. 
There's some other things that I think are interesting in the book of Revelation that John conveys. In Revelation chapter 22, uh, starting at verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right of the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the ones who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. I think this is interesting because you see, the spirit and the bride of Christ, those who are eligible to reign with him, are inviting the rebellious, the unloving people outside to come. You see, it, the, the list that he mentions there about the murderers, idolaters, all these people who practice falsehood, those are the ones who are being invited to come. And I think it's so interesting because in Revelation, it talks about these gates, right? These big gates and they're, you know, on this side of the city and this side of the city. And one was like a giant pearl, you know, all this descriptive language. But it says in 21, chapter 21, verse 25, that the gates will never close. Gates are used for going in and out. They can keep you in or they can keep you out, but they can't do that if they are always open. I wonder if the gates are always open for a reason. Can God be bringing proper, lasting justice, banishing certain actions and the people who do them from this new creation while at the same time allowing and waiting and hoping for the possibility of reconciliation for those same people. I don't know how things work when you die, people. I ain't been there, don't, haven't done that. We're all guessing. We're all taking words and language from you know sacred books that are thousands of years old trying to interpret what the writers are saying but we don't know how it works. We don't know all the little details. And maybe we are totally missing some important pieces to this puzzle. Will everyone eventually be reconciled to God or will there be those who climb into their or cling to their version of the story, want to be their God? I love C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, where he just explores that that idea that someone who continues to choose a life away from God basically gets all the hell they want. But it's different than the idea of torment that we've maybe grown up learning about. And maybe a life separated from God is not so much a life of endless torture, but a life of endless choosing of wrong. And maybe it is important that we do make right choices still because they lead us closer and closer to being inside that gate. 
if the gates are never closed, I don't want to close them by presenting a belief that I think does just that. And so there's room for this. There's been this conversation in history. We can have this conversation, let people call us heretics. That's okay. It's been done already. But we don't stand alone. We stand with history in a lot of people, including Martin Luther, apparently. So, hey, let's pray. Father, it's my hope that this conversation has been helpful to giving us deeper understandings and more freedom to have conversations outside of maybe what we've grown up hearing. God, I don't want to put a door in the way of anyone from entering into a relationship or seeking after you just because they've heard a belief system that they can't deal with. Lord, maybe by their inability to deal with it, they're actually closer to you than those who hold on to it. But may we, again, approach this with humility. May we be gracious, understanding people have been taught things for decades, and it's difficult to bring about change. But may we be open to it. In Jesus' name, amen. May the idea of fire and judgment not push us from God, but draw us like a moth to the flame of his refining fire that allows us to enter in with more purity. God bless you guys. Have a tremendous week. I look forward to our conversation together here. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, We'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com. It has been our pleasure to have you join us today, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.